The Naval Treaty by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatised by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr Watson. Holmes, I think you might find this letter interesting. Mm -hmm. It arrived in this morning's post. Uh, yeah, just a moment, Watson. You've come at a crisis. Despite a heavy cold, Holmes was working hard over a chemical investigation. A large retort was boiling furiously, and the distilled drops were condensing into a two-litre measure. If this paper remains blue, all is well. If it turns red, it uh, means a man's life. Hmm. Red. Yes, I thought as much. I shall need to send some telegrams shortly. A man's life, you said. Has that to do with murder? Yes, but a very commonplace little one. You come with something better, I fancy. What is it? This letter is from someone I knew at school, Percy Phelps. His uncle is Lord Holdhurst. I have no doubt you will say that such an eminent politician has used his influence to further his nephew's prospects. Yes, he has a good appointment at the Foreign Office, except that, as he writes here, a horrible misfortune has suddenly blasted his career. Be so good as to read what he says. Yes, of course. There is no use writing the details of that dreadful event. I have only just recovered from weeks of brain fever and am still exceedingly weak. Do you think that you could bring your friend Mr. Holmes down to see me here in Woking? Mm -hmm. I should like to have his opinion of the case, though the authorities tell me that nothing more can be done. Oh, that is an all-too-familiar ring to it. <laughs> Assure him that if I have not asked his advice sooner, it was not because I did not appreciate his talents, but because I have been off my head since the blow fell. Indeed, I am still so weak that I have to write, as you see, by dictating. Do try and bring him. It does not tell us very much, does it? No, hardly anything. A message? Yes, of course. Ah. The writings of interest. They are, but the writing is not his own. Uh, precisely. Look, it is a woman's. Oh, no, a man's, surely. No, 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 a woman's. And a woman of rare character. At the commencement of an investigation, it is something to know that your client is in close contact with someone who, for good or evil, has an exceptional nature. Once I have sent these other telegrams, we will start at once for Woking and see this diplomatist who is in such evil case and the lady to whom he dictates his letters. We were fortunate enough to catch an early train at Waterloo. In a little under an hour, we were at Woking and the house proved to be within a few minutes' walk of the station. We first met a rather stout man who received us with much hospitality. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. I am so glad you have come. Percy has been inquiring for you all the morning. Joseph Harrison is my name. Percy is to marry my sister Annie. You will find my sister in his room, for she has nursed him hand and foot these two months back. We had better go in at once, for I know how impatient he is. The chamber into which we were shown was on the same floor as the drawing room. A young man, very pale and worn, was lying upon a sofa near the open window. A woman was sitting beside him, and rose as we entered. In here, thank you, gentlemen. Shall mm -hmm. I leave, Percy? Oh, no, no, Annie. How are you, Watson? Very well. I, I should never have known you under that moustache. <laughs> I dare say you would not be prepared to swear to me. This, I presume, is your celebrated friend. Indeed, I see to some refreshments. Harrison left us, but his sister remained, with her hand in that of the invalid. 
She was a striking-looking woman, with a beautiful olive complexion, large dark eyes, and a wealth of deep black hair. I won't waste your time. I'll plunge into the matter without further preamble. Do take your time, my dear. Mm. Through the influence of my uncle, Lord Holdhurst, I have risen rapidly to a responsible position in the Foreign Office. When my uncle became Foreign Minister in this administration, he gave me several missions of trust, and he came to have the utmost confidence in my ability and tact. Then, nearly ten weeks ago, I think, uh, to be accurate... The 23rd of May. Oh, thank you, my dear. Uh, on the 23rd of May, he, he called me into his private room. My uncle handed me a document. This document, Percy, is the original of a secret treaty between England and Italy. It is of enormous importance that nothing about it should leak out. The French or Russian embassies would pay an immense sum to learn its contents. It should not leave my bureau were it not absolutely necessary to have it copied. You understand? Yes, sir. Then take the treaty and lock it in the desk in your office. I shall give directions that you may remain behind when the others go, so that you may copy it at your leisure without fear of being overlooked. When you have finished, relock both original and copy in the desk and hand them over to me personally tomorrow morning. I took the papers and I began Excuse to... me an instant. Were you alone during this conversation? Absolutely. In a large room? Thirty feet each way. In the centre? About the centre, yes. Thank you. Pray go on. I did exactly what he had indicated and waited until the other clerks had departed. One of them in my room had some arrears of work to make up, so, so I left him there and went out to dine. When I returned, he was gone. I was anxious to hurry my work, for I knew that Joseph was in town. Oh, he means my brother, whom you saw just now. Quite so. Yes. He would travel down to Woking by the 11 o'clock train, and I wanted, if possible, to catch it. Without breaching the confidentiality of your office, is it possible to give me some notion of the, uh, well, of the nature of this treaty? Well, um, broadly, it foreshadowed the policy which this country would pursue in the event of the French fleet gaining a complete ascendancy over that of Italy in the Mediterranean. The questions treated in it were purely naval. Thank you. It, it was a long document, uh, 26 separate articles. I copied as quickly as I could, but at nine o'clock I had only done nine articles, and it seemed hopeless for me to attempt to catch my train. I, I felt drowsy. A cup of coffee would clear my brain. I, I rang the bell to summon the commissionaire, who remains all night in a little lodge at the foot of the stairs. Oh, my dear, you must not tire. This amount of talking was obviously tiring, Phelps, so he paused before continuing his story. Then he explained that, to his surprise, it was a woman who answered his summons. She explained that she was the commissionaire's wife and took the order for the coffee. After two more articles, however, the coffee had still not come. So he started down the corridor to see what the cause of the delay could be. Would you explain the layout of the offices? A straight passage leads from the room in which I was working 
and is the only exit from it. It ends in a curving staircase with the commissionaire's lodge at the bottom. Uh, but, but halfway down the staircase is a small landing. Another passage runs from it at right angles. It leads by means of a second small stair to a side door. Thank you. Uh, the picture is entirely clear. I found the commissionaire fast asleep with the kettle boiling furiously. I was about to shake the man when a bell over his head rang loudly and he woke with a start. Then a cold hand seemed to close round my heart. It was the bell of the room I was working in. To which you immediately returned? Yes. But there was no one in the corridor, Mr. Holmes, and no one in the room. And the copy of the treaty was there, but the original was gone. A most intriguing problem. The thief must have come up the stairs from the side door. I would have met him if he had come the other way. You are satisfied that he could not have been concealed in the room all the time? Or in the corridor? It is absolutely impossible. A rat could not conceal himself either in the room or the corridor. Thank you. Pray proceed. The commissioner and I rushed down to the side door. I, I can distinctly remember that as we did so, there came three chimes from a neighbouring church. It was a quarter to ten. Hmm. That is of importance. Phelps was only summoning the strength to carry on talking with difficulty. Despite the rain that was falling, he and the commissioner went out into the street. They found it empty. But at the far corner they found a policeman. Only one person had passed him in the last quarter of an hour, and that turned out to be the commissioner's wife. The man protested his wife's innocence and ran back to the other end of the street to look further. Phelps followed with the policeman, but the street was busy, with no lounger to tell them who had passed. I was at a loss to know what to do next. We returned to the office and searched the stairs and passage without result. There was not even the outline of a footmark. Had it been raining all the evening? Um, yes, yes, since, since about seven. How is it then that the woman who came to the room about nine left no traces? The charwomen are in the habit of taking off their boots at the commissioner's office and putting on slippers. So there were no marks? though the night was a wet one. The chain of events is certainly one of extraordinary interest. Yeah, well, what did you do next? We examined the room also. There was no possibility of a secret door. The windows are quite 30 feet from the ground. I will pledge my life that whoever stole my papers could only have come through the door. And the bell rope? It hangs from a wire just to the right of the desk. But why should any criminal wish to ring the bell? Well, certainly the incident was unusual. You examined the room, I presume, to see if the intruder had left any traces? Yes. There were none. No smell? Well, we, we never thought of that. Ah, no, no. The scent of tobacco would have been worth a great deal to us. Ah. Well, I, I, I never smoked myself, so I think I should have observed it if there had been any smell of tobacco. The only tangible fact was that the commissioner's wife had hurried out of the place. Phelps paused again to gather his strength a little. Then he went on to explain that by now the alarm had reached Scotland Yard and Mr. Forbes, the detective, came round and took up the case. He and Phelps went to the commissioner's home and waited there for his wife to return. 
When she did, she was taken back to Scotland Yard to be searched. There was no sign of the papers. Then, for the first time, the horror of my situation came in its full force upon me. Watson there would tell you that I, I was a nervous, sensitive boy at school. Yes, yes. Uh, it's just my nature. I have only a bare recollection of what followed. Uh, perhaps I could explain the rest. Oh, my darling, please do. He arrived here very ill. He had been put on the train in London, accompanied by a doctor who lives near here and was travelling on the same train. It was evident that he was going to be unwell for a long time, so we got Joseph to vacate this room so that it could be a sick room for Percy. Oh, if it had not been for Annie here and the doctor's care, I should not be speaking to you now. <laughs> It's only in the last three days that my memory has quite returned. Sometimes I wish it never had. Your letter to Watson suggested that you had been in recent contact with Scotland Yard. Yes. Yes, M Mr Forbes. M Mr Forbes assured me that, 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 that no trace of a clue has been discovered. The commissioner and his wife have been examined in every way without any light being thrown upon the matter. Mm. I turn to you, Mr. Holmes, as absolutely my last hope. If you fail me, then my honour as well as my position are forever forfeited. Uh, your statement has been so explicit that you have really left me very few questions to ask. There is one of the very utmost importance, however. Did you tell anyone that you had this special task to perform? Uh, no one. Well, not Miss Harrison here, for example? No. No. No, I, I had not been back to working between getting the order and executing the commission. And none of your people had by chance been to see you? None. Did any of them know their way about in the uh, office? Oh, yes. All of them had been shown over it. Thank you. I have no doubt I can get the other details from Forbes. The authorities are excellent at amassing facts, though they do not always use them to advantage. Do you see any prospect of solving this mystery, Mr. Holmes? Well, it would be absurd to deny that the case is a very abstruse and complicated one. Uh, but I can promise you, I will look into it. Do you see any clue? Well, you furnished me with seven, but of course I must test them before I can pronounce on their value. You suspect someone? I suspect myself. What? Of coming to conclusions too rapidly. Then go to London and test your conclusions. Your advice is very excellent, Miss Harrison. Yeah, I think, Watson, we we cannot do better. No, I agree. Do not allow yourself to indulge in false hopes, Mr. Phelps. The affair is a very tangled one. It is. I'll come out by the same train tomorrow. We were soon whirling up to London, but with Holmes sunk in profound thought. He hardly opened his mouth until we had passed Clapham Junction. I suppose that man Phelps does not drink. Oh, I should not think so. Nor should I. But we are bound to take every possibility into account. What did you think of Miss Harrison? A girl of strong character. Yes, but she is a good sort, I'm mistaken. She and her brother are the only children of an ironmaster somewhere up Northumberland Way. What? Phelps got engaged to her when travelling last winter, and she came down to be introduced to his people with her brother as an escort. <laughs> Then came the smash, and she stayed on to Nurse Phelps. And Brother Joseph, finding himself pretty snug, stayed on. Oh, you've been making a few independent inquiries, I see. It is almost always valuable. I can still see no meaning in any of it. Uh, well, one thing is clear. 
The most difficult crime to track is the one which is purposeless, and this is not purposeless. Who is it that profits by it? The French ambassador, and the Russian, and whoever might sell it to either of those. And there is Lord Holdhurst. Yeah, Lord Holdhurst? Well, it is just conceivable that a statesman might find himself in a position where he was not sorry to have such a document accidentally destroyed. We shall see the noble lord later today. But meanwhile, I have set inquiries on foot. Already? I sent wires from Woking. This advertisement will appear in all the evening papers. Ten pounds reward for the number of the cab which dropped a fare at or about the foreign office at a quarter to ten in the evening of May 23rd. Applied 221B Baker Street. Oh, you're confident the thief came in a cab? If the person came from outside on so wet a night and yet left no trace of damp, I think we may safely deduce the cab. Mm, it sounds plausible. Mm, yes, well, it may lead to something. And then, of course, there is the bell, which is the most distinctive feature of the case. Why should the bell ring? Was it bravado or an accident? What was it? Some new possibility had obviously dawned upon Holmes, and he sank back into thought. Our first call in London was to Scotland Yard, where we met Forbes. I've heard of your methods before now, Mr. Holmes. Well? You're ready enough to use all the information that the police can lay at your disposal, and then you try to finish the case yourself and bring discredit upon them. On the contrary. Out of my last 53 cases, my name has appeared in four, and the police have had credit in 49. Uh, I see. Well, uh, I'd be very glad of a hint or two. Mm. What of the commissioner and his wife? Nothing against him. Left the guards with a good character. But she's a bad lot. Drinks a lot. Too much, usually. But we can get nothing out of her. Why does she say she hurried away that night? Well, she was later than usual and wanted to get home. What did you point out? That you and Mr. Phelps started after her and got there before? She explains that by the difference between a bus and a hansom. Have you formed any theory about how the bell rang? Well, I must confess that it beats me. It was a cool hand, whoever it was, to go and give the alarm like that. Yes, yes, it was a queer thing to do. Well, if I can put the man into your hands, you shall hear from me. Having learned what little Forbes had to tell us, our next call was on Lord Holdhurst. I cannot pretend to be ignorant of the object of your visit, Mr. Holmes, but you must understand that my kinship with my nephew makes it the more impossible for me to screen him in any way. Mm. But if the document were found... There would probably be no prejudicial effect on his career. Was it in this room that you gave your instructions for copying the document? It was. And then you could hardly have been overheard. Oh, out of the question. Mm. Did you ever mention to anyone that you intended to have the treaty copied? Never. Well, since you never said so, and Mr. Phelps never said so, the thief's presence in the room was purely accidental. He saw his chance and took it. Well, you take me out of my province there. Uh, you feared, as I understand, that very grave results might follow from the details of this treaty becoming known. Yes, that is correct. And have they occurred? Not yet. Since nearly ten weeks have elapsed, it is not unfair to think that for some reason the treaty has not reached the French or the Russians. But we can hardly suppose, Mr. Holmes, that the thief took the treaty in order to frame it and hang it up. <laughs> oh, perhaps he's waiting for a better price. And if he waits a little longer, he'll get no price at all. In a few months, the treaty will cease to be a secret. 
Uh, that is most important, Watson. Oh, yes, yes. Mm. Of course, the thief could have had a sudden illness. An attack of brain fever, for example? Oh, I did not say so, no. Thank you for your valuable time, Lord Holthurst. There were no new developments before we travelled down to Woking again the next morning. Our client was still under the charge of his devoted nurse, but looking considerably better. And he had surprising news for us. I begin to believe that I am the unconscious centre of some monstrous conspiracy and that my life is aimed at as well as my honour. Pray let us hear of it. I felt much Phelps better. had felt so much better the night before that he had slept without a nurse in his room. It was the first time he had done so since his illness. At about two in the morning, he had been woken by a noise. It was an intruder forcing open the sash window of his room. Phelps flung open the shutters and found there a man in a cloak which covered his face and carrying a knife. Not being strong enough to follow when the man ran off, he shouted until he had woken Joseph, who roused the rest of the house. I have said nothing to the local police yet, for I wanted your opinion first. Do you think you could walk round the garden with me? Oh, yes. Uh, I should like a little sunshine. And I also. I am afraid not. I think I must ask you to remain sitting exactly where you are. The young lady resumed her seat with an air of displeasure. Her brother Joseph, however, joined us and we set off all four together. We found marks on the flower bed below the window, but they were hopelessly blurred and vague. I don't think anyone could make much of these. I should have thought those larger windows of the drawing room would have had more attractions for a burglar. These are more visible from the road? Of course. Do you keep plate in the house or anything to attract burglars? Nothing of value. Joseph found the place where the fellow scaled the fence. Oh, yes, I did. Well, then let's have a look at that. But that did not help us either. So we returned to the house. Phelps was walking very slowly, leaning on the arm of his future brother-in-law, whereas I was keeping up with Holmes, who strode swiftly across the lawn. So we were at the open window of the bedroom long before the others. Miss Harrison? Yes? You must stay where you are all day. Let nothing prevent you. It is of the most vital importance. Certainly, if you wish it, Mr. Holmes. When you go to bed, lock the door of this room and keep the key. Promise to do this. But Percy... He won't come to London with us. And I am to remain here. It is for his sake. You can serve him. Quick. Very well, I promise. Excellent. Thank you. Why don't you come out into the sunshine, Annie? Oh, no, thank you, Joseph. I have a slight headache, and this room is delightfully cool. As you please. But you will miss the best part of the day. What do you propose now, Mr. Holmes? It will be a very great help to me if you could come up to London with us. If I can really be of help? Of the greatest possible. Perhaps you would like me to stay there tonight? I was just going to propose it. Then, if my friend of the night comes to revisit me, he will find the bird flown. And Watson can give you whatever medical care is necessary. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Holmes had a further surprise in store when he, Phelps and I reached Woking Station. He calmly announced he had no intention of leaving with us. There are one or two small points which I desire to clear up before I go. Your absence, Mr. Phelps, will in some ways rather assist me. I see. Watson, hmm? when you reach London, you would oblige me by driving at once to Baker Street with our friend here and remaining with him until I see you again. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Phelps can have the spare bedroom tonight, mm -hmm. and I shall be with you in time for breakfast tomorrow morning. Right. 
odd enough, shortly after eight o'clock the next day, Holmes entered the house. But it was some little time before he came upstairs. When he did, we saw that his left hand was swathed in a bandage. You're wounded, Mr. Holmes. Tata, only a scratch due to my own clumsiness. Ah, but it tells of adventures. Won't you say what has happened? After breakfast, Watson. Mrs. Hudson entered with the food, and we all drew up to the table. What have you there, Watson? Um, ham and eggs. Excellent. And in the dish before you, Mr. Phelps. Oh, the treaty. It's the treaty. Oh, oh Bradley Watson, quickly. Yes, no, 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 no. I, I'm all right. Oh, it was too bad to spring it on you. Uh, but Watson will tell you that I never can resist a touch of the dramatic. Oh. God bless you. You have saved my honour. Well, my own was at stake too, you know. We finished our breakfast in fine spirits, and Holmes lit himself a pipe before he told us of the night's events. With complete disregard for his cold, he had walked the Surrey countryside until dark, and then made his way back to the house unseen. He took up a position under cover of a bush, where he could see into Phelps's sick room. At a quarter past ten, Miss Harrison left the room and locked the door, just as Holmes had directed. I may say, Mr. Phelps, that without her cooperation, you would not have that paper in your pocket. And then I settled down to wait. It was a very weary vigil. It was after two when the servant's door opened, and out into the moonlight stepped Mr. Joseph Harrison. Joseph? Yes. He prized open the window, went to his hiding place, and took out the treaty. Do you mean that all the time that the paper was in the room with me? It was. And then what happened? He came out of the window straight into my arms. He had rather more viciousness than I gave him credit for, so I got a cut over the knuckles before I had the upper hand of him. He looked murder out of the only eye he could see with, <laughs> but he was persuaded to give up the paper. Has he been arrested? I let him go, but I have wired the particulars to Forbes. Well, he must do something for the credit. So, Joseph called into the office that night to see me? Yes. And when he found the room empty, he rang the bell to attract attention, and only then saw what prize lay within his grasp on the table. Was he planning to sell it? Oh, he has great need. He is badly in debt. So, he made his escape before I could get back up the stairs? Yes. Once back at Woking, he concealed it in what he assumed was a safe place, until he was bundled out of his room by your return. Uh, that was why I was certain it was him when the first night you were alone an attempt was made to enter your room. But that night, you don't think he had any murderous intention? The knife was only meant as a tool. It may be so. I can only say for certain that Mr. Joseph Harrison is a gentleman to whose mercy I should be extremely unwilling to trust. In the Naval Treaty by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Hayden Wood, Percy Phelps, Felicity Hayes McCoy, Annie, Roger Hammond, Lord Holthurst, Douglas Fielding, Joseph Harrison, and Sean Barrett, Inspector Forbes. The Naval Treaty was dramatised by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.